Hey. Let <laughs> 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 say that. No. Fill number one. Fill number, number one. one. Cut. 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 Hey everyone. Welcome back to Puckish Podcast. That's P-U-C-K-I-S-H. Puckish Podcast. <laughs> it's like someone's reading the alphabet, you know, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Hey, sorry, shut up. This is my first time opening the show, okay? Well done, well and, done. Good try. And with me today, we have Eugene, aka YJ and Nigel. Unfortunately, our very sexy editor, Vin, can't join us today. I think he's oh, off filming um, another episode of Extreme Editing with oh. us. Yeah. But this time from the comfort of his home. So maybe yes. he'll be battling cockroaches and lizards instead. Uh-huh. If you haven't watched that, please watch it right now. Yes, it's episode, Ooh, it's episode 5, right? Callback. Yeah, episode 5. <laughs> yeah, anyway, Nigel has been interviewed for his skills-based bills and he's a PR practitioner. He Ooh. shared, he shared a, a bit on in. A bit on the PR world and his experiences as a young fledgling trying to find his way and how he manages to communicate with all his peers and how he manages (laughs) to influence all his his news allies, I would say. Wonderful summary. (laughs) And then there was... My episode was a bit more... Lame, I guess. Cause no, <laughs> cannot say that. <laughs> <laughs> cannot say that. Recut, recut, cut, cut. <laughs> Do cut, again. Cut, cut. <laughs> my, my episode wasn't too lame. My episode was okay. Um, it, so for me, I do digital marketing and <laughs> I, okay. I cannot stop laughing about myself. Yeah, um, no, you maybe, have to. Maybe talk about yourself. Uh, Sell yourself. I, I hate selling myself as... as um, as ironic as that sounds. Your marketer do your job. Yeah, I sell stories. And yes. off. And, but to, for today, we are talking about YJ, okay? YJ. Yes, hi, we hi are, everyone. We save the best for last. Yeah. For sure. Why don't, no, 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 not for last. For for the last of the rest of us. I mean, for, for us. Yeah. Yeah. But there are, there are other episodes coming up. So please tune in for that. Yes. Yeah. So why why don't why don't you get us started, Amiro? Uh, well, apart from being a rock star, YJ is a hmm. is a budding an entrepreneur. So he's hmm. uh, he's the one that has ventured out into the wilderness to to you know start his own business. He he tried to dabble into. Okay, YJ, what, what, which type of entre- what type of entrepreneur are you? I know there's like the <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk type. There is like the Casey Neistat type. So YJ, oh. which which cl- which Classification? Would you call yourself? The tough questions the, immediately. Oh, I I wouldn't classify myself as any type of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneur mm. is more of my own type. Mm. I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I don't. I I don't think I fall into any category yet. I've tried. Um, I tried many different things when I was um, working in Myanmar. So I actually went over to Myanmar like almost three years, I think more than three years ago to to attempt at starting my own business and working with other people. So yeah, I wouldn't be classified as any group yet, I think. Okay. What, what business was this? Can you please specify? It's not mafia, <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, no. Um, it's So it started with um, a coffee shop. So it was... One of the in one of the first few big malls in in Yangon, which is the it's not the capital of Myanmar, but it's like the financial capital of the country. It's like the the Shanghai and the yeah, it's like the Shanghai of of Myanmar. So the capital is Nepido, which is like the political capital. But yeah, so Yangon is like the business city. Um, 
so it was one of the first few malls with um, office towers. So we had a cafe just in between, right in the middle between these um, two office towers. So that was the first one I tried. After that, we, um, I moved on to working with um, a children's entertainment company. So they, they did like indoor playground. They did. Is it also in Myanmar? Yes. All of this is in uh, Myanmar. Yangon. So it um so it was a children entertainment education company, so I ran their events department for them. Um and after that, from there I met a few like um Chinese people from China in Yangon and we saw an opportunity to um to have to open a Chinese restaurant there. And after that I worked with a small tech startup in Myanmar that has also oh my God. Uh, moved to Singapore. Four. Just saying yeah. the counter is four. Four yeah. different... Okay, <laughs> three years. Jotomate, uh. yeah. Jotomate, Let's go back to the very start. How did yeah. you find this business opportunity in Myanmar? So it was more of the opportunity found me. It was... Um, I wasn't the, the one that came up with the idea or I wasn't the one that went to the, the city itself at first. So it was... Uh, my then business partner who um have I think he recently graduated and he knew like a friend or two in in Yangon so he went over to have a look and he saw I think the mall I described to you and the office towers and he thought that could be an opportunity to have a cafe because the the whole F and B industry there was very it was not very great. Like there were no such thing as like cafes or um of what we know there was no Starbucks there were no fast food restaurants no nothing there so um, we think there was we thought there was an opportunity there to start something so um, that was when I was still in uni and then he talked to me throughout uni about the um, experience he had there what was going on um, what what kind of opportunities he saw and after that when I graduated I decided to head down to have a look at myself so that was um, right after I graduated. Um, well, I was still looking for, for work as a fresh grad. So I went down like two or three times and I thought actually this would be an interesting opportunity to um, to do it because I had a mindset of if not now, then when. Or, or like um, I didn't want to be tied down by too many commitments and then decide to start something that was a bit um, risky. So I decided to go at it then. Okay, so did you know like right out of uni that you wanted to be venturing into like into like this um, world? Not really. So when I was in uni, I had this idea of of being a like working in like corporate or like being in an office or getting a stable job in marketing or or something like that. Um, so I did try to find work in the UK where I studied, but it was a it was the Brexit period, so it was quite of like an unstable, unstable time in in the country, in the city. So I decided to come back and try my luck um, with different like companies, different firms. So I had interviews here and there, but I just it just didn't like sit too well with me. Like that idea of um, working in the CBD, that kind of rush and everything. Um, so I that's why I decided to like look for alternate um, opportunities. Um, but, um, but I always had the idea that 
I mean, everyone always had has that idea of wanting to do something on their own or like starting that that kind of thing. So I just decided to take the leap and go ahead and try it. I mean, that is, I, I know, yeah. I, yeah, why don't you go ahead? Go, go ahead, Nigel, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're so polite. I know, right? This is a very polite um, <laughs> interviewers we have. <laughs> it's going to get worse, trust me. So, okay. Well, okay, you, you haven't really worked in Singapore and, um, you know, going over right into Yangon into the into a country that you you know you know barely anything about um yeah you went there a few times to look at the the business environment and and stuff like that but how do you think working there is different from here like what 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 are the key differences do you think i think the um, the pace is very different from working um in a place like Yangon because it's still a very new new country in terms of like their political system their exposure to the rest of the world the access to internet the access to like western culture is all very new to them and um, everything is pretty slow there so i would think that would be one of the main differences and i think another difference is that the people there are you definitely i feel they are definitely kinder also and um, more patient like like even the, Ooh, the whole, on Singaporeans already. Ooh. I mean Singaporeans can be impatient. We we can see it almost in everyday interactions. Mm. And like ah. Myanmar is actually like statistically the most generous country in the world. What do you mean? Like there's apparently there's a generosity index and Myanmar is number one for like a few years. You were sharing with us about the um, Myanmar's gener- generosity index, right? So, yes. like, what are the some of the acts that you were showered with uh, when you were in Myanmar? Acts of kindness and generosity. Um, so, when we were there, so our living conditions at first wasn't very great. We actually shared um apartment with our staff. So, it was How many? literally me and my um business partner. We, we slept in the living room and we had, like, I think about five, six other people living in the house with us. Um, so it was, um, it was quite a not a great living condition. But whenever we were, um, come back or or things like that, they our staff would like make sure that we had something to eat, or they would like willingly want to cook um something for us. And also, you can also see on the um, the streets like people are generally helpful, although they they sometimes they may not be because they're not confident in like interacting with foreigners much but Sorry, they YG. do they do try and help yeah I don't, I don't want to be a skeptic right but are you sure your staff uh, were not kind to you just because you were their bosses <laughs> yeah well, <no. laughs> um possibly but bit, uh. but there were I think there were times where you know they saw us more as less of bosses but more of like um friends or like um things like that I mean, we were like, often they were like older than us. So there was this one, I remember when we first, um, when we first started, like the first year, there was this manager who was, I think, two, three years older than us. Um, but she always like nagged at us. She always like scolded us, but you can cut, you could tell it was kind of like from an older sister kind of um, way. So she made sure we were, we were eating properly and, um, but we didn't like have to like give her a pay raise or anything. It was just kind of like, like her kind of way of just showing that she cared. But both of you were fresh out of uni, going into a country that you are not familiar with. So how did you, you know, show that 
that you have the business acumen despite your inexperience? And how do you lead a team? So the you know? business acumen part, I think we were very lucky that there were people that were willing to give us a chance um, to invest like money and time to help us and the resources to help us in um, starting a business. And that definitely took time. Like we weren't, we weren't going in with like, like even though we had a plan, like it wasn't like, it would ne- have never been the best plan. It would never have been the um, the right thing to do. I think a lot of the time it was figuring things out on the go. Um, mm. And of course, constantly trying things and definitely having to make mistakes and learning from that. In terms of leadership, I think it took a bit of, it took a lot of work to be able to gain the trust of like our staff and everything. Like in the end, we are, we are taking care of their livelihood and I think that forced myself, especially to like step up to, to that and make sure that there was enough money coming into the business to take care of um, these people. Some of them are, they, they come from different states. They come from villages. They come from um, impoverished like situations. So a lot of the times we were one of the few people who would give like people a chance because we also felt that we were new to the city. We also had to, um, learn, on our, learn on our own so I think the environment we created was that everyone could learn together and of course um, mistakes uh, everyone made mistakes but we definitely had to learn from those mistakes and that was important in that leadership aspect Captain Moiji I think you contributed to the gener- generosity index also YJ <laughs> Stop sucking up to him. <laughs> uh, I, I learned from oh, the best. I like, I like this interviewee. <laughs> I like this interviewer. This interviewer sucks up. We are not, up. We are not media cop. Oh. oh. <laughs> but, but it's really interesting to, to, to that you are able to, you know, um, assemble a team right out, mm. right out of uni and then like, you are leading like a, a team to like, like what you shared, lah, you know, uh, yeah. these people are depending on you for their livelihoods and you you, you kind of develop your skills you know, from your army experiences, right, based on previous mm. episodes and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so like how, how, how would you say like, how did you even, did you, did you even speak the language in the first place? Um, you know, tr- trying to assemble this thing, how do you communicate to them about your, your day-to-day <laughs> roles, like what you expect of them and, what were the difficulties that you encountered in trying to build this business with a newly formed team, I would say? So in terms of language, I think I definitely tried very hard to learn um, the language, especially at the start. So um, especially when you're thrown into a situation, you tend to learn faster when you need to, when you need to learn it. So like especially, um, so in terms of operations, you have to learn different terms for simple things like water, coffee, cup, um, clean, these kind of words, like the numbers of the money. Um, and we were very lucky to have people with us at the start that could speak English also. So like one or two of our staff, like the supervisors, they could speak English because they were from a northern state in Myanmar, which um, a lot of them knew how to speak English um, because there were few... Um, so it was a predominantly Christian um, state so somehow English was part of that um, so 
we hired people from that state and they knew how to speak English. So they were our main communicators also. But when they weren't there, um, and there were times also where we had to speak directly to the staff. So all this operational language in, in Burmese, we had to learn. It definitely wasn't perfect at the start. Like there were definitely stumbling blocks. Um, but I think that, that building that culture at the start is very important that we know that it was very important for us to tell our staff that we are not perfect and we are definitely learning because I think a lot of um, the people we worked with there, they had this mindset that we had to listen to the boss, whatever the boss says is right. But I always told my staff and my team to always challenge me if they think I was wrong or if they think there's a better way of doing things, um, definitely let me know. Because I told them that I am not as experienced as some of your other bosses or with many things in running a cafe. But definitely, like, if you think there's a better solution, we will talk about it, we will discuss. So I think creating that culture is very important at the start. Especially when it's hard to communicate in terms of language. You have to know that you have to set things down at the start early and set things right first. And then I think things will have a good foundation to build off on. Yeah. What, what did your cafe sell like, actually? Um, it ranged from... So we always experimented with what we sold. So the main thing was always coffee. Coffee and um, dessert. So basically we were modeled, we modeled ourselves after Starbucks. Um, those kind of cafes. Because at that time, that first year where the business was running, there was only two cafes serving the office tower and the mall. So it was us and Gloria Jeans. And and we also supplied desserts to some of the other cafes at the same time. Um, so we had that kind of... So our main thing was always serving the, the expats and the, some of the locals from the office towers. So those working at the banks, those working at the um, consulting firms there. So the main thing was definitely coffee. Then there was some food and um, health food and things like that. So we experimented with different products. I mean, we all know how F&B business is very difficult in Singapore. Right? What makes it different in in Myanmar? Like why why is it easier or, you know, is, is it easier and why? I don't know if it's easier. Um, I know it's definitely tough in Singapore because it's very crowded in that space. But I think I think what the cafes in Singapore do very well is they all they all have their niche in a way like the, the kind of coffees they they use or the products they have. For us, um, I don't think it was easy to do it in Yangon. I think there was just more space for us to learn. I think that was the main the main reason why because if we were to start the same thing in Singapore, we if we didn't know what we were doing, we would die in the first few months but in Yangon you have this we had this very large um, space and time to learn from our mistakes and to always improve so that was a there was a a very gentle learning curve for us it sounds like a David and Goliath situation whereby you said you the only competitor you faced in in Myanmar and Yangon were um, Gloria Jeans right and they were a What's the word called again? A, a global chain for yep. for coffee mm. and selling cakes and confectionery and things like that. Um, 
and obviously they they when when you buy a franchise like that you all your marketing and things like that are being done for you but for you what was the biggest challenge in trying to lure the, the initial customers that is not from your office because office hours are from a certain time right from like 9 yeah. to 6 yep. so how do you sustain that interest over the weekend or like you know um, during when it's not during the lunch hour periods so I um, one way we always try to do better than others is to provide as good of a product and to provide a good service to our customers um, and also, of course, we tried our best to step up our marketing efforts with promos and things like that. So we try to be unique in a diff- in a way because when you're a bigger franchise, you kind of have different. You do have things to adhere to, like guidelines and rules. But for us, we could work with the space a bit more flexibly. So we did workshops during the weekends. We did um, classes. We rented out the space. So these were the things we we tried to do to keep. Um, to give us a more um, unique selling point in terms of the space. And because we were in a very good location, so we wanted to give an option for people to hang out, to study, um, to basically have um, a, a place where they can feel like they can have a, just have a nice cup of coffee and relax at, at the space. Um, but it was definitely a bit of... Um, now it has become a lot more of a David Goliath thing because... A lot more cafes have entered the, the fray in, in Yangon. So like this. What's coffee Bean. Yeah, Gloria Jeans, then Coffee Bean, then Cafe, Amazon. So a lot of Thai brands, a lot of Singaporean brands are coming in. Um, so the business definitely took a hit. Um, the main thing that I think took away some business from us was bubble tea. <laughs> the arrival oh. of bubble tea. <laughs> <laughs> Why, what exactly happened? Koi, Gongcha, all came. Um. Oh, wow. Just like <laughs> a new wave coming in entirely. Yeah, yeah when, when, which uh, year was this? Twenty End of 2017. Oh, wow, they yeah, came that. in so late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, you have to, we also have to understand that the um, people there, they don't have much to spend. Their spending mm. power is very little. Um, so, mm. you're looking at a person of with three, four years experience as a manager at a big company. He's earning probably five to seven hundred a month. What? In which currency is that? Um, Singapore dollars. What? Yeah. Um, when I was there, I'm not sure about now, but I don't think it has changed much. Um, so definitely, the the highest paid manager would probably be just like thousands, saying a month. Right. Um, especially so for the locals. Yeah. How much were you selling your items then, if you were to be? To staying keeping your company afloat or be making profits to of significant margins to keep it running until now. Ooh, asking the tough questions like Anderson so, Cooper, man. <laughs> so price was always a very difficult thing to to decide on because of because you don't want to price out the locals too much because they took up a bulk of the market. But especially when you're in a prime location, the overheads demand a, a higher price point. So it's very hard. It was quite difficult for us to balance the price. Um, so, so our coffees were selling about about three fifty to five sing, depending on the size. Which that is not pretty uh, expensive, though. To be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, because we had we had not much of a choice. Um, because of the the rental, the the overheads, the the kind of um. 
the kind of quality we want to put out overall. So like there's quality of ingredients, there's the time put into it. Um, we, we didn't want to shortchange ourselves also. So it was always a balance between how much we had to price and what can we do to justify that price. So in terms of service, in terms of um, branding and things like that. You sort of alluded to some of the difficulties already, such as like the arrival of bubble tea, pr- balancing the you know the the pricing and all that. But what was the biggest sort of uh, business decision that you had made that you had to make, and why was it so difficult to make? And maybe you can share like you know why was it so important to make? I think the biggest decision. I actually don't have a biggest decision I had to make. It was always very um. I think okay. Maybe there was like a biggest decision is whether to continue or not. Constantly, oh. every time we had to like renew the rental contract, we had to um, we had to constantly decide whether it was worth carrying on because there was it was always this balancing act. Like you didn't know when, didn't know what is coming next. You don't really know whether your price is working. Um, so I think the major decision was whether we wanted to continue trying to keep the business afloat. Um, how we were going to spend the money? Is it worth expanding? Is it worth trying different products? In the end, there was there was always a lot of smaller decisions also, like um, because operationally you also have to think about your staff and um, how the business affects them. How um, like we don't even, we also don't want to shortchange our staff because they were earning they were not earning much also. Um, even though it was even though we were paying them market rate but to us it was we tried to be we wanted to give them a fair uh, compensation so we also had to consider whether if we stopped the business or we stopped doing a certain thing how would it affect the staff also so it was a really a, a lot of small decisions we had to make on a daily basis that um that would that would lead to a bigger decision of whether this was worth doing over time. Wow. So like a really, really selfless boss who puts his employees oh first. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Thank true. You. I, I feel that way too. But, but, but really like, because right, I, I, this is what I feel, okay? Because I think that when you run your, your business, right, you, you mostly you care about yourself. Uh, how do you stay afloat? How do you, it's always you at the forefront of like you know making sure that um, you have enough money but it's it's a nice change to hear that somebody cares about the employees and putting them first mm-hmm. so like and all this like what you said all these small conversations and all these ongoing like topics and, and a lot of like heavy decisions that you have, have to be making right it sounds like it can be very very stressful so maybe mm-hmm. can you just share with us like, how do you manage that stress aspect because like what you said you are in a foreign <laughs> land yeah, yeah, away from friends and, and, and things like that. How do you, you know, not drive yourself too crazy in this world? Yeah, so definitely the first um, few months or the first half year was definitely a bit of a struggle in terms of the culture shock and the kind of things I had to do every day. So in dealing with the stress, I don't think I dealt with it very well uh, <laughs> <laughs> because um, the alcohol there was cheap. Oh no! <laughs> so there was a, so there were a lot of nights where I went out to drink and things like that to to kind of um, not so I wouldn't think about these kinds of things, but um, 
but yeah, I didn't. I don't think I handled it very well. And also, there were many occasions where I always felt I could do better things. Because in the end, I'm also not that selfless. Because you also want to keep the staff happy and um healthy, so they they can work well for you. At the same time, they'll be loyal to you. They will um stick with you throughout the hard times um or whatnot. Mm, because at that, especially at that period of time where a lot of cafes were coming in, they were looking for different staff to um, to work with them. And of course, they wanted people that were already trained. So it was very easy to, to poach staff there. There were very lax labor laws where you could just jump from company to company. Um, there were a lot of times where people just wouldn't show up to work because um, they got into a fight, they got drunk, they, <laughs> um, they just didn't want to come to work they were scared yeah many many different things like that so we definitely wanted to cultivate what the, is, this culture of what um, is scared teamwork. of though so a lot of them were scared of just the customers also there were people who were scared of customers of talking to customers because they were not confident in speaking english or foreign language they were even scared of interacting with us so there were a lot of um a lot of different reasons why they didn't turn out to work. They were, yeah, like I said, bar fights, um, hospitalizations, um, family members dying. So, so many things that that we kind of had to deal with on the fly. Talking, wow. talking uh, warrior, jump, <laughs> jump, or even like jumping companies. Like it was, it was very common. I I think we 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 covered quite a bit about your cafe business. I I think we we also want to find out more about your child. Child, uh, children entertainment business, right? That you were you a clown? Were. <laughs> were you a clown? First of all, second part of the question was: I think you, you mentioned briefly to us when we were talking about how the business environment is very different, and uh, there are some, shall we say, like shortcuts that some businesses take. Maybe you can share more about these difficulties mm. in uh, set starting up. Uh, you know, in 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 growing this kind of business there okay so um were you a clown first of all firstly i wasn't a clown <laughs> damn it um, damn. <laughs> i was uh i was a mascot once i think uh, but i wasn't i wasn't a clown wearing what the the mascot costume of the the company oh my god which is a hot. what is it a kid the demon it was a demon I bet it was yeah. an otter. <laughs> like POSB bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like otter or any eater, something cute. Was, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like an alien looking kind of thing. Yeah, I'll I'll see if I can put a picture somewhere, but Okay. Um yeah, in terms of in terms of business practices, yeah, there were definitely some um, less than there were some illegal illegal Oh ways. illegal. Oh wow wow, we're going there. There were some um not unethical ways. There were there were diff- many different ways people did things. Depending depending on what is ethical or moral to you. Um, I one example is there were so I think the country was stepping up, um, their kind of health and food and health safety kind of um licensing and things like that. So there were a lot of the times where you just had to like even the officers that came to you they didn't care whether you had a license. They just said okay um you have or don't have we don't care we'll come back later just prepare something for us oh, then we will forget about this <laughs> so you know we just have to like put some cash in the envelope they come back give them the envelope and then they 
walk away. Sometimes how, they, how do you know sometimes how much they you come back. Give? Okay, so yeah, so I was leading to that. So oh. sometimes they come back and they like they, that wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> Directly <laughs> to your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was like, oh, I mean, that's that's how they dealt with a lot of other. It wasn't only us. It's like almost every like they would try this with almost wow, every terrible. small business. Yeah, because and who are these officials actually? Call them out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know their names. They, oh, okay. they came like no, not not their names, but like you know who you know which, which agency? Oh, yeah, yeah, which agency? I don't even. We know. can bleep it some, out if you want. Some some yeah. license. I don't know some food or right. licensing thing, but it wasn't just like that kind of licenses. It was there were many other ways to do things unofficially, which you just had to require some money under the table, and that was it. You sound yeah. like a mafia boss. Yeah. No, but it was for very simple things that you just wanted to get done. So instead of like going through like red tape and bureaucracy, you just paid someone to do it for you quicker. Yeah. And I guess in terms of morally, there was a very common thing there was like the staff stealing from you. Huh? So throughout all the, the different... Because um, it was a cash... It is a cash country still. Mm. So when you use cash, I mean, cash can disappear like any other item in the world. And it's a very desirable item. So um, there that were a lot of cases. Business? Yeah. yeah there, was, wow. there, was, there was stealing involved. Um, so one of the main things was like the cashiering system and the accounting of the cash, uh, keeping track of everything. So I remember at the start, I talked about like this this older sister figure that were taking care of us. Yes. So in the end, like a year later, we found out she was stealing money from us. Oh my wow, God. What the oh, biggest <laughs> plot twist. Plot twist. She yeah, took so, care of you and then she was stealing from oh, you. She was nursing you in. Yeah. Let you lower your yeah. cut down. Like, oh, she was, it's okay, little boy. And, <laughs> and that whole like um scenario, it was, so it was hard for us because we also felt loyal to her. Like, we thought there must be some reason she's doing it. There's some way to work it out. But in the end, it came to a point where it's still unacceptable because all the staff knew she was stealing. It was the staff that told us. That Why didn't they tell in the first place? Because they also saw her as her older sister. Oh, damn. Like everyone, everyone literally called her older sister. And it's it also so kind of, it also hurt them a lot to come to us and say she's stealing. Wow. And and we couldn't take that lightly, you know. It was something that is it was it was actually something that we knew even like a week or two ago, but we kind of like made sure like it was actually something that we saw on the camera or on like CCTV. Um so yeah, when when there was proof and like no way for for her to to say no, it didn't happen, then we had to confront her about it and there was no other choice but to to fire her because all the staff knew already if we kept her then that would just be a bad example were, were you like Donald Trump you're fired <laughs> <laughs> were you crying and like talking yeah. to your big sister where you had to like you know, no I wasn't crying <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't crying it was just the tribal uh, council has voted I, it was just like, I told her I told her I just, we, we were just very disappointed in in her conduct and did she say why no Oh. I think she just thought she saw a way around the system or like a loophole in the cashing system and then she took advantage of it 
Was there any point in any of your businesses where you question your own ability? Yeah, I mean, I mean, plenty of times. Um, like, or, or what I, was the? Was there any sort of like tipping point? You know, where you where you were like, oh my god, this particular incident is gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think thankfully, like we so when when we were there, when I was there. I built a network of um, other Singaporeans there also that would constantly like we'll help each other out and um, I also I think they were I would consider them as like mentors as well in terms of business so they would always like give us advice help us out um, so there were there were definitely times I felt um, not capable and and felt that I was doing things wrongly which plenty of times I did but a lot of, but I think when I spoke to all these more experienced people, they reassured me that this is just part of business. We everyone makes mistakes, and that it's it's totally fine as long as you as long as you explain the mistake well enough, as, as long as you know how to move on from it. I think it's um enough. I mean, if you lose a huge amount of cash, of course that that sucks uh, But you have to find a way to make it back. And I think that was always like drilled into us that when someone puts gives you like faith in terms of or gives you an investment in terms of time, money, or faith, or whatever, a lot of the times they know that things can go wrong. So I think one of the main takeaways was not to be too hard on ourselves when we did things wrong or we made mistakes. It's just that owning up to it and knowing how to um, be better from then on. I think the biggest mistake would be not learning from your mistake and not putting the effort to be better that would be the worst thing you could do for yourself and your business sounds like yeah. uh, I mean mistakes are part of your you know learning curve and they are indeed like a brutal teacher la, for your life lessons I would say but I would also say that successes are also a great indicator of like how you're doing well and mm. like you know like people need to learn how to you know Learn how to take away. Successes. Yeah. How, how do you blessings. measure your wins and what would you constitute as a big win for you when, especially when you are uh, when you are an entrepreneur and you have to define all these you know metrics for yourself. Okay, What's so your I value would, anchor statement. I would say I'm a very bad entrepreneur in the sense that I don't see success as um, money in my pocket. How much money I have in my pocket because I I saw I guess I felt the most successful when the team that I was working with or the staff I worked with felt that they did, they learned something or they bettered themselves. I think that's when I felt the most um, joy or the most like warmth in my heart, that kind of thing, because <laughs> oh, like, 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 what alcohol can fill up, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the joy of someone else that, that, that warms me up. I mean, that's, that's really honestly where I, I felt I had the most um, satisfaction from like teaching, if I taught someone how to do something and over the time you put in the, you invested the time and effort into that and they learn from you and you find out that they trust you to look out for them. I think those are the kind the kind of um, metrics I measure success by. Um, of course, like in terms of money, you, you win some, you lose some definitely. Um, it's always a struggle to make more money. But I think when you, you can win in terms of not you you don't have to always win in terms of monetary ways you can always win in terms of um 
building a successful team, having a good culture in your business, in the company you're working with. Um, yeah, those were the things that I, I found satisfaction in. Since you're an entrepreneur, what's, what purchase of $100 or less <laughs> has most positively impacted your life in the past six months? $100 or less? Yes. No, the microphone is less than <laughs> it's more than a hundred. Our uh, our microphone, our microphone too. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. The, the microphones yeah, I, I got yeah. for, for the Parkish podcast crew. Yeah, yeah. Those um, yeah. Because I think it's not only for the because it doesn't because it's not only for the podcast. It means that I have kind of enabled other people to do something um that they have never done before. They always felt like fear in doing mm. and I think that that kind of it, it also alludes to like when I was in Yangon like giving people the tools or like um, the experience to do something they never thought they could really do or to enrich themselves to to be creative to do something different I think that's what really gives me satisfaction so if uh, less, if something less than $100 can give other people that then why not it's not a too bad of a purchase yeah, yeah damn yeah $100 is Film is not a lot of money, man. But yeah, like, because I mean, of your hundred dollars investment in us, right? I yeah. made I went into like you know buy more other things to make it. Sound <laughs> <laughs> like a, a mic stand. Wow, look at it! <laughs> it makes his appearance. The boom and, and arms. Like yeah, yeah. Precisely. We're, we're building a multi-million dollar empire here, yeah, and we are <laughs> supporting you, over. YJ, yeah. because yes, of your vision and your goal. We are supporting each other. So okay, I mean. Uh, evidently you're back here now um, were there any regrets or any any kind of if you could do a start over what would you do differently I, I think there were if I could start over I would definitely I honestly, I honestly still don't know what I would do differently this, this is a tough question in terms of regrets I mean there were definitely a lot of things you could do differently, but if you did those differently and you didn't make the mistake, then you wouldn't have that learning opportunity. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to answer that, but mm. I think one way is definitely be more, for me personally, would be to have more um, persistence in the way I wanted things to be done and, and kind of that conviction to do it. Because I was also not very confident in myself then. Mm. Yeah. Because I didn't really know what is right or wrong for a business. The only thing I knew that was... The only thing I knew what could be right or wrong is for other people. Not really how much money to make or how much money can be made from a decision. It's more of how can this be... How can this better other people? Because I definitely believe that the business is made from the people running it. Because if you remove that from the equation, then money can't be made already. Business can't be done. Um, so I definitely invested I, I definitely don't regret investing time in the people there where mm. even though like sometimes you do get disappointed or um, a negative ROI from it but yeah I don't think there's anything I would change because if I did then I wouldn't learn what I learned there I think one interesting part about Yangon is that it's always constantly changing and it's changing in a way that um I think especially when you're in Singapore, you don't get to see. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you talk about the city itself, it. I think it became democratic. Oh, I'm not too sure, like 2015 or 2014. Mm. 
um, someone can fact check me, I'm not too sure, but that's when um, the Aung San Suu Kyi came to power. So, I mean, being at the center of that was quite interesting, seeing how the people evolved from having no internet connection on their phones to having internet connection everywhere, the kind of speed where they learn things, uh, where we definitely take for granted, like, like we had, we went through like internet and everything while we were growing up, but these, a lot of them were like, they only learned about the internet when they were 20, 22, 23. So there were a lot of things that people, um, um, saw changing and what I, and I also saw changing. So it was a very interesting time to be in that city. Um, in terms of the people there, you could tell that they always wanted to, there was always good or bad people. Um, the good ones, they, they are willing to learn, they are willing to share their ideas. And for me, like, I would definitely want to learn from people from another country, another city, because their point of view is very different. Like they don't see things like, um, like how we see things. Like we definitely look at something and think about more of money, more of like reputation, more of yep. like how does this affect me in terms of those ways. But yeah. over there, they prob- they think more of like how can I, how can this be better for everyone, or how can this um, benefit not only myself uh, but other people also. So you kind of you can see that difference between um, Yangon and Singapore, but there's also the bad side where people try to take advantage of that. Um, they try to take advantage of people's kindness and people's generosity. So I definitely saw a lot of that also. Um, you mm. could see people, you could see things like a very clear economic divide, a very clear class divide. You could see um. Mercedes and Jaguars on the street and then you could see kids running up to them and trying to sell them like flowers to to make money and even though the money is just like one two dollars um that kind of thing so and they work late into the night like three four a.m I remember driving past one um overhead bridge and I saw a baby tied to a fence on a raffia string because the mom went out to the cars to like get to 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 sell flowers so it's all weird stuff like that. Um, that's not weird, but that's heartbreaking, to be honest. It's weird and heartbreaking. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess I didn't find it too heartbreaking because I was used to it by then. But. Were you desensitized by all these um, happenings around you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember the first few times I was there. So I one thing that I had to sensitize, desensitize myself very quickly was the car honking. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Because you know here you don't really hear much honking in, in when I was in UK also not Nigel that much. Nigel is an aggressive height driver. He honks at everything. <laughs> don't don't spread fake news. <laughs> this one, wow, but they, they honk non-stop. It's their way of communicating on the road. He- so, like what? Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, like really. Hello or like if they want to signal out, they just bang. Then before they go out, they don't even bother to press the signal. They just honk. Um. So these kind of things... Um. Um, I had to get desensitized to that. I had to learn how to negotiate with taxi drivers, the 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 cost of going from one place or to another. And then there was one time where we were going back at night. So the windows of the car was tinted. And I was using my phone, then suddenly like a kid knocked on the, the window. And she was so small that you she couldn't see her from the window because she was lower than the window. You get what I mean? Yep. So you couldn't see her head, but you could only see her head knocking. 
So like that was like 1, 2 a.m. and there were kids out there. Okay, like, that's quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> not be able to see anything. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes it was sad, like they would, because Yangon's a very dusty city, so there was dust, dust all around the car. So they would draw pictures on our car, um, things like that, because they were just, just so bored. They were just so like, they were just so lost. So they're like drawing pictures on the cars. You see like they drew, they, there was one time they drew like a happy family on a car. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, ah. and yeah, so the, those were the things that we had to, uh, had to, sadly had to desensitize myself wow. very quickly. If not, it made things quite difficult. It feels like you have been, you know, acquiring yourself with soft skills and hard skills like this, like, you know, soft skills, managing people, and like, you know, desensitizing yourself to issues like this and like, you know, and watching how a a country essentially transform itself from a um small um econo- economical state into like something booming, like what you say, like embracing bubble tea and yep. and changes like and and the internet especially and things like that. And and you also learn hard skills like, you know, accounting, uh marketing, yep. uh and other the operational elements and, and yeah. And yeah. and yeah, and you and you shared that you did four, you work four different in four different companies in in Myanmar. So for yourself, I think you have learned quite a bit. Yeah, so essentially, mm. it's what what is next for you, man? <laughs> like you, it feels <laughs> like you have achieved everything, uh, before even turning thirty. I don't think I've achieved everything. I think I'm just scratching the surface. I think I don't consider myself successful after that. I think it was a very good eye-opener and a learning opportunity more than anything because I was exposed to so many different things. I was given the chance to work on so many dif- so many diverse projects with different people. Like I worked with um, Singaporeans, Vietnamese, the local Burmese. I worked with Thai people. I worked with China, Chinese people. Um, I worked with um, South Africans, like there's a lot of like I think the good thing about the network there was there was a lot of people from a lot of different countries that had the same mindset when they were there. Um so you kind of learn together, you you share especially um I mean not everyone shared definitely, but you you had to look for the correct people to work with, to talk to. There were def- there were a lot of people willing to give advice because I think they saw too like um, blur blur people there and they just wanted to like they always thought like a lot of people um, gave us feedback and advice on the cafe um, on the the porridge the Chinese restaurant um, so I met many people through through that um, so yeah it was definitely a, more of a learning thing I think than anything else I think it provided me with the best um, lesson which is like life <laughs> just it just gave me it just gave me the chance to live another life which i think a lot of people um never get the chance to yep. so i'm very appreciative in that sense even though it was not easy um you definitely had to see things that you didn't expect to see um like i even got bitten by a stray dog there so it was like <laughs> you definitely like experience different things and like you never you never get that here so i was like okay i, I think this is like a badge of of honor 
Wow, yeah. getting bitten yeah. by a dog. And you're gonna use these lessons to grow this Pakish podcast empire. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the that's, that's the key. The, that's thing. the main goal. Yeah. Um, yeah, but definitely there are definitely things to apply um, to other areas, like from from all that. Because I think these things are usually seen as can be seen as very non-traditional or like companies or corporate culture done doesn't really look out for don't really look out for these kind of skills and experiences. Even though it may sound nice, but how I think a lot of people, especially in Singapore, look at how will it improve my bottom line? Yep. How, will it, how will it bring me sales or profit? Um, but I think for me, I've never been that kind of person. It was more of like, how can I like benefit the people around me or like um, bring value to customers? Um, so yeah, in terms of what's next for me, I think this is one of that, like, definitely wanting to bring value to our listeners and um, yes. empowering them to to do things they never think they never thought to try things they never thought they would try because I mean mistakes are bound to happen it's just take it as a learning experience and with that I think that encapsulates our that interview encapsulates. yeah yes. it was a very very good uh, sort of uh, round up as to your life experiences in Yangon and how you're going to bring that here into Singapore yes, now that I you're here so. full time yes any any lasting thoughts Amiril no um, yeah so if because I, I think you brought a, re- a really really good point YJ about um, companies in in Singapore looking for experiences and things like that right Um, and a lot of people you know are, are worried about that so can you yeah. like you know share any words of wisdom or <laughs> Yes. Or any advice, lasting, lasting parting advice. Yeah, for anybody who's wishing to be taking that first step into the world of uh, entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I I'm not. I don't think I'm very um well equipped to give advice on entrepreneurship. I'm I'm just a very I'm just a fledgling. Like, <laughs> I think we all we all call ourselves fledglings. Yeah. Um. But but I'm still very much learning. But I think one thing I would probably say is that don't be afraid to take that that jump into anything you always thought of doing before because there's only two things that can happen one is that you fail and you fail terribly you could be the worst thing ever imagined the second thing is that it's not that bad so mm. if it's not that bad you just i mean you just if you fall you just stand up and, and walk away but if it feels badly you know that you have such a you have learned such a big lesson you have like risen again from the ashes like a phoenix. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just like that. the story of Myanmar. I love that. Yes. <laughs> it's so poetic. She'll yes. be wearing red way YJ today. <laughs> red, yellow and green. But yeah, yeah, I definitely urge anyone and everyone to head to that city. I think it's a very interesting place. Um it's definitely not something if you're used to traveling to big cities is definitely something that you have never experienced before maybe we should open a podcast uh, over there but I, have, I, have, the I have thought about it but yeah, wow. that's, yeah. Um, in the future thank you thank you for your time yes this has no been worries. a very enriching experience um, I hope very so. very different uh, I think I, I can say for our friends you know none none of us have had a business opportunity like that in such a emerging market, right? So, mm. yeah. 
this was an interesting uh, insight into your life. Thank yes. you, YJ. This has no been worries. the Puckish Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, and all the other podcast platforms. Why do you look so, so pained when you're saying it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you know, you're physical pain I'm when trying you're to, talking trying about to it. recall what the different podcast platforms are. Spotify, yeah. Apple Podcast, or your favorite Oh yeah, Apple Podcast, podcast platforms. Yeah, yeah. Apple Podcast yes. is like thirty percent of our listeners. Wow, I f- don't sorry, I forgot them. about so many of you. Yeah, and thank we you have, for um, listening. We have become more international, I think. Yes. Um, How compared let's to give last? A, give a give a update. roundup of the countries that we have hit. Okay, let's let's shout out to all of them. Yeah. Sadly, no one from Myanmar yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I think language is a big thing. Big thing. Okay, oh, damn, damn. so we have um. Brazil. Oh, o- Brazil. Obrigado. We have Finland. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> mangle their language. What's up? <laughs> Finland. Uh, Denmark. Denmark. Ooh, Danish puffs. Um, Japan. Japan. <laughs> uh, Japan. Uh, Japan is what? What's their greeting? Konnichiwa, brother. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. Um, Australia. Good day, mate. <laughs> I finally got it. <laughs> we finally got it. We got a good day, mate. Yeah. So um, thanks, thanks to those guys for listening. If you're still listening now, guys and girls, guys yeah. and girls, whoever yeah. you are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye.